Hello and welcome back. Thank you for listening and reading along with me. I hope that you are all doing well, staying healthy and safe and happy. Today we are going to be reading chapter 52 in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Chapter 52 One sunny day in the spring when Francie was 16, she walked out of the office at 5 o'clock and saw Anita, a girl who operated a machine in her row, standing in the doorway of the communications building with two soldiers. One short, stubby, and beaming held Anita's arm possessively. The other, tall and gangling, stood there awkwardly. Anita detached herself from the soldiers and drew Francie aside. Francie, you've got to help me out. Joey's on his last leave before his unit goes overseas and we're engaged. If you're engaged already, you're doing all right and you don't need anybody's help, said Francie jokingly. I mean help with that other fellow. Joey just had to bring him along, darn it. Seems like they're buddies and where one goes, the other goes. This other fellow comes from some hick town in Pennsylvania and doesn't know a soul in New York and I know he'll stick around and I'll never get to be alone with Joey. You've got to help me out, Francie. Three girls turned me down already. Francie took a speculative look at the Pennsylvania fellow standing ten feet away. He didn't look like much. No wonder the other three girls refused to help out Anita. Then his eyes met hers and he smiled a slow, shy smile. And somehow, while he wasn't good looking, he was nicer than good looking. The shy smile decided Francie. Look, she said to Anita, if I can catch my brother where he works, I'll give him a message for my mother. If he's left, I'll have to go home because my mother will worry if I don't turn up for supper. Hurry up then, phone him, urged Anita. Here, she fished in her pocketbook. I'll give you a nickel for the call. Francie phoned from the corner cigar store. It just happened that Neely was still at McGarrity's. She gave him the message. When she got back, she found that Anita and her Joey had gone. The soldier with the shy smile was all alone. Where's Nita? she asked. I reckon she's run out on you. She went off with Joe. Francie was dismayed. She had expected it to be a double date. What in the world was she to do with this tall stranger now? I don't blame them, he was saying, wanting to be alone. I'm an engaged man myself, I know how it is. The last leave, the only girl. Engaged, hmm, thought Francie. At least he wouldn't try any romancing. But that's no reason why you should be stuck with me, he went on. If you'll show me where to get the subway to 34th Street, I'm a stranger in this city. I'll go back to the hotel room. 
A person can always write letters, I guess, when there's nothing else to do. He smiled, his lonely, shy smile. I've already phoned my folks that I won't be home, so if you'd like... Like? Gosh, this is my lucky day. Well, gee, thanks, Miss... Nolan, Francis Nolan. My name's Lee Reiner. It's really Leo, but everybody says Lee. I'm sure pleased to meet you, Miss Nolan. He held out his hand. And I'm pleased to meet you, Corporal Reiner. They shook hands. Oh, you noticed the stripes. He smiled happily. I suppose you're hungry after working all day. Any special place you'd like to go for supper? I mean, dinner? Supper's okay. No, no place special. You? I'd like to try some of this here chop suey I heard about. There's a nice place up around 42nd Street with music. Let's go. On the way to the subway, he said, Miss Nolan, do you care if I call you Francis? I don't care. Everyone calls me Francie, though. Francie, he repeated the name. Francie, another thing. Would you mind if I sort of made believe that you were my best girl just for this evening? Hmm, thought Francie, fast worker. He took the thought out of her mind. I guess you think I'm a fast worker, but it's this way. I haven't been out with a girl in nearly a year, and a few days from now I'll be on a boat heading for France, and after that, I don't know what may be. So for these few hours, if you don't mind, I'd consider it a great favor. I don't mind. Thanks. He indicated his arm. Hang on, best girl. As they were about to enter the subway, he paused. Say Lee, he ordered. Lee, she said. Say, hello, Lee. It's so good to see you again, dear. <laughs> hello, Lee. It's so good to see you again, she said shyly. He tightened his arm. The waiter at Ruby's put two bowls of chop suey and a fat pot of tea between them. You pour out my tea so it's more home-like, said Lee. How much sugar? I don't take sugar. Me either. Say, we have exactly the same taste, don't we? He said. Both were very hungry and they stopped talking in order to concentrate on the slippery wet food. Every time Francie looked up at him, he smiled. Every time he looked down at her, she grinned happily. After the chop suey, rice, and tea were all gone, he leaned back and took out a pack of cigarettes. Smoke? She shook her head. I tried it once and didn't seem to like it. Good. I don't like a girl who smokes. Then he started to talk. He told her all that he could remember about himself. He told her of his boyhood in a Pennsylvania town. She remembered the town from reading its weekly newspaper in the press clipping bureau. He told her about his parents and his brothers and sisters. He spoke of his school days, parties he had gone to, jobs he had worked at. He told her he was 22, 
how he had come to enlist at 21. He told her about his life at the army camp, how he got to be a corporal. He told her every single thing about himself, excepting the girl he was engaged to back home. And Francie told him of her life. She told only of the happy things, how handsome Papa had been, how wise Mama was, what a swell brother Neely was, and how cute her baby sister was. She told him about the brown bowl on the library desk, about the New Year's night she and Neely had talked on the roof. She didn't mention Ben Blake, because he never entered her thoughts. After she had finished, he said, All my life I've been so lonely. I've been lonely at crowded parties. I've been lonely in the middle of kissing a girl, and I've been lonely at camp with hundreds of fellows around. But now I'm not lonely anymore. He smiled his special, slow, shy smile. That's the way it was with me too, confessed Francie, except I've never kissed any boy. And now for the first time, I'm not lonely either. The waiter again replenished their almost filled water glasses. Francie knew it was a hint that they had sat there too long. People were waiting for tables. She asked Lee the time. Almost 10 o'clock? They had been talking for nearly four hours. I have to start home, she said regretfully. I'll take you home. Do you live near the Brooklyn Bridge? No, the Williamsburg. I hoped it was the Brooklyn Bridge. I thought that if I ever got to New York, I'd like to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. Why not? suggested Francie. I can get a Graham Avenue trolley from the Brooklyn end that will take me right to my corner. They took the IRT subway to Brooklyn Bridge, got out and walked, started to walk across. Halfway over, they paused to look down on the East River. They stood close together and he held her hand. He looked up at the skyline on the Manhattan shore. New York, I've always wanted to see it and now I've seen it. It's true what they say. It's the most wonderful city in the world. Brooklyn's better. It hasn't got skyscrapers like New York, has it? No, but there's a feeling about it. Oh, I can't explain it. You've got to live in Brooklyn to know. We'll live in Brooklyn someday, he said quietly, and her heart skipped a beat. She saw one of the cops who patrolled the bridge coming toward them. We'd better move, she said uneasily. The Brooklyn Navy Yard's right over there, and that camouflaged boat anchored there is a transport. The cops are always watching out for spies. As the cop came up to them, Lee said, We're not going to blow up anything. We're just looking at the East River. Sure, sure, said the cop. Don't I know how it is on a fine May night? Wasn't I young meself once and not so long ago as you might think? He smiled at them. Lee smiled back and Francie grinned at both of them. The cop glanced at Lee's sleeve. Well, so long, General, said the cop. Give them hell when you get over there. I'll do that, promised Lee. The cop went on his way. 
Nice guy, commented Lee. Everybody's nice, said Francie happily. When they got to the Brooklyn side, she said that he was not to take her the rest of the way home. She had often gone home alone late at night when working on the night shift, she explained. He'd get lost if he tried to find his way back to New York from her neighborhood. Brooklyn was tricky that way. You had to live there in order to find your way about, she said. In truth, she didn't want him to see where she lived. She loved her neighborhood and wasn't ashamed of it. But she felt that to a stranger who didn't know about the way about it the way she did, it might seem mean and shabby place. First, she showed him where to get the L that would return him to New York. Then they walked over to where she had to get the trolley. They passed a one-window tattoo shop. Inside sat a young sailor with his sleeve rolled up. The tattoo artist sat before him on a stool with his pan of inks nearby. He was pricking out an arrow-pierced heart on the sailor boy's arm. Francie and Lee stopped to stare in the window. The sailor waved at them with his free arm. They waved back. The artist looked up and made signs that they were welcome to enter. Francie frowned and shook her head no. Walking away from the store, Lee said with wonder in his voice, That fellow was actually getting tattooed. Gosh! Don't you ever, ever let me catch you getting tattooed, she said with playful severity. No, mother, he answered meekly, and they laughed. They stood on the corner, waiting for the trolley. An awkward silence came between them. They stood apart, and he kept lighting cigarettes and discarding them before they were half-smoked. Finally, a trolley came in sight. Here comes my car, said Francie. She held out her right hand. Good night, Lee. He threw away the cigarette he had just lighted. Francie? He held out his arms. She went to him, and he kissed her. The next morning, Francie dressed in her new navy blue fail suit with the white Georgette crepe blouse and her Sunday patent leather pumps. She and Lee had no date, had made no arrangements to meet again, but she knew he'd be waiting for her at five o'clock. Neely got up from bed as she was about to leave. She asked him to tell Mama she wouldn't be home for supper. Francie's got a feller at last! Francie's got a feller at last! chanted Neely. He went to Lori, who was sitting by the window in her high chair. There was a bowl of oatmeal on the chair's tray. The baby was busily engaged in spooning out the oatmeal and dumping it on the floor. Neely chucked her under the chin. Hey, dopey! At last Francie's got a feller! A faint line appeared on the inner edge of the child's right eyebrow, the Romilly line, Katie called it, as the two-year-old tried to understand. Franny, she said in a puzzled way. Listen, Neely, I got her out of bed and gave her her oatmeal. It's your job to feed her now, 
and don't call her Dopey. As she came out of the hallway on the street, she heard her name called. She looked up. Neely was hanging out of the window in his pajamas. He sang at the top of his voice, There she goes on her toes, all dressed up in her Sunday clothes. Neely, you're terrible, just terrible. She called up to the window. He pretended not to understand. Did you say he was terrible? Did you say he has a big mustache and a baldy head? You better go feed the baby, she hollered back. Did you say you were going to have a baby, Francie? Did you say you were going to have a baby? A man passing on the street winked at Francie. Two girls coming by arm in arm had a terrific fit of giggling. You damned kid, screamed Francie in impotent fury. <gasps> you cursed! I'm gonna tell Mama, I'm gonna tell Mama, I'm gonna tell Mama, you cursed, chanted Neely. She heard the trolley coming and had to run for it. He was waiting for her when she got out of work. He met her with that smile. Hello, my best girl. He tucked her arm within his. Hello, Lee. It's good to see you again. Dear, he prompted. Dear, she added. They ate at the automat, another place he had wanted to see. Since smoking wasn't permitted there, and Lee couldn't sit still for long without smoking, they didn't linger to talk after coffee and dessert. They decided to go dancing. They found a dime-a-dance place just off Broadway where servicemen were given half rates. He bought a strip of 20 tickets for a dollar, and they started to dance. They had gone but halfway around the floor when Francie discovered that his gangling awkwardness was extremely deceptive. He was a smooth and skillful dancer. They danced, holding each other closely. There was no need for conversation. The orchestra was playing one of Francie's favorite songs, Some Sunday Morning. Some Sunday morning, when the weather's fine. She hummed the chorus as the vocalist sang it. Dressed up in gingham, what a bride I'll be. She felt Lee's arm tighten around her. I know my girlfriends, they're gonna envy me. Francie was so happy. Once more around the floor, then the vocalist sang the chorus again, this time varying it slightly in honor of the soldiers present. Dressed up in khaki, what a groom you'll be. His arm tightened around his shoulder, her arm tightened around his shoulders, and she rested her cheek on his tunic. She had the same thought Katie had had 17 years ago dancing with Johnny, that she'd willingly accept any sacrifice or hardship if she could only have this man near her for always. And like Katie, Francie gave no thought to the children who might have to help her work out the hardship and sacrifice. A group of soldiers were leaving the hall. As with the custom, the orchestra cut off the song they were playing and went into Till We Meet Again. 
everyone stopped dancing and sang a farewell to the soldiers. Francie and Lee held hands and sang, even though neither was quite certain of the words. When the clouds roll by, then I'll come back to you. Then the skies will seem more blue. There were cries of, goodbye, soldier, good luck, soldier, till we meet again, soldier. Then the departing soldiers stood in a group and sang the song. Lee pulled Francie towards the door. We'll leave now, he said, so that this moment will remain a perfect memory. They walked down the stairs slowly, the song following them. As they reached the street, they waited until the song died away. Pray each night for me till we meet again. Let it be our song, he whispered, and think of me every time you hear it. As they walked, it started to rain, and they had to run and find shelter in the doorway of a vacant store. They stood in the protected and dark doorway, held each other's hand, and watched the rain falling. People always think that happiness is a faraway thing, thought Francie. Something complicated and hard to get, yet what little things can make it up? A place of shelter when it rains, a cup of strong hot coffee when you're blue, for a man, a cigarette for contentment, a book to read when you're alone, just to be with somebody you love. Those things make happiness. I'm leaving early in the morning. Not for France. Suddenly she was jolted out of her happiness. No, for home. My mother wants me for a day or two before. Oh, I love you, Francie. But you're engaged. That's the first thing you ever told me. Engaged, he said bitterly. Everybody's engaged. Everybody in a small town is engaged or married or in trouble. There's nothing else to do in a small town. You go to school. You start walking home with a girl. Maybe for no other reason than she lives out your way. You grow up. She invites you to parties at her home. You go to other parties. People ask you to bring her along. You're expected to take her home. Soon, no one else takes her out. Everybody thinks she's your girl, and then... Well, if you don't take her around, you feel like a heel. And then, because there's nothing else to do, you marry. And it works out all right if she's a decent girl. And most of the time, she is. And you're a halfway decent fellow. No great passion, but a kind of affectionate contentment. And then children come along, and you give them the great love you kind of miss in each other. And the children gain in the long run. Yes, I'm engaged all right, but it isn't the same between her and me as it is between you and me. But you're going to marry her. He waited a long time before he answered. No, she was happy again. Say it, Francie, he whispered. Say it, she said. I love you, Lee. Francie, there was urgency in his voice. 
I may not come back from over there. And I'm afraid. Afraid. I might die. Die. Never having had anything. Never. Francie, can't we be together for a little while? We are together, said Francie innocently. I mean in a room, alone, just till morning when I leave. I couldn't. Don't you want to? Yes, she answered honestly. Then why? I'm only sixteen, she confessed bravely. I've never been with anybody. I wouldn't know how. That makes no difference. And I've never been away from home overnight. My mother would worry. You could tell her you spent the night with a girlfriend. She knows I have no girlfriend. You could think of some excuse tomorrow. I wouldn't need to think of an excuse. I'd tell her the truth. You would? He asked in astonishment. I love you. I wouldn't be ashamed. Afterwards, if I stayed with you, I'd be proud and happy and I wouldn't want to lie about it. I had no way of knowing. No way of knowing. He whispered as if to himself. You wouldn't want it to be something sneaky, would you? Francie, forgive me. I shouldn't have asked. I had no way of knowing. Knowing? Asked Francie, puzzled. He put his arms around her and held her tightly. She saw that he was crying. Francie, I'm afraid. So afraid. I'm afraid that if I go away, I'll lose you. Never see you again. Tell me not to go home and I'll stay. We'll have tomorrow and the next day. We'll eat together and walk around or sit in a park or ride on top of a bus and just talk and be with each other. Tell me not to go. I guess you have to go. I guess that it's right that you see your mother once more before... I don't know. But I guess it's right. Francie... Will you marry me when the war's over? If I come back? When you come back, I'll marry you. Will you, Francie? Please, will you? Yes. Say it again. I'll marry you when you come back, Lee. And Francie, we'll live in Brooklyn. We'll live wherever you want to live. We'll live in Brooklyn, then. Only if you want to, Lee. And will you write to me every day? Every day. Every day, she promised. And will you write to me tonight when you get home and tell me how much you love me so that that letter will be waiting for me when I get home? She promised. Will you promise never to let anyone else kiss you? Never to go out with anyone? To wait for me? No matter how long, and if I don't come back, never to want 
to marry anyone else? She promised. And he had asked for her whole life as simply as he'd ask for a date. And she promised away her whole life as simply as she'd offer a hand in greeting or farewell. It stopped raining after a while and the stars came out.